second reading, it comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19. I will read the first ten verses, which is in uh, your in your bulletins. While Apollos was in the city of Corinth, Paul was visiting some places on his way to Ephesus. In Ephesus, he found some other followers of the Lord. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? These followers said to him, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul asked them, so what kind of baptism did you have? They said, it was the baptism that John taught. Paul said... John told people to be baptized to show they wanted to change their lives. He told people to believe in the one who would come after him. And that one is Jesus. When these followers heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in different languages and prophesying. There were about 12 men in this group. Paul went into the sanctuary and spoke very boldly. He continued to do this for three months. He talked with the Jews, trying to persuade them to accept what he was telling them about God's kingdom. But some of them became stubborn and refused to believe. In front of everyone, they said bad things about the way. So Paul left these Jews and took the Lord's followers with him. He went to a place where a man named Tyrannus had a school. There Paul talked with people every day. He did this for two years. Because of this work, everyone in Asia, Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask uh, that you would be present here by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would... Uh, overcome us this day, that you would um, speak in spite of our deafness, that you uh, would uh, raise us in spite of our deadness. I pray that you would work uh, through me in spite of my sinfulness, and I pray that you would have your way with us this day, and that you would bring honor and glory to yourself here in our lives and in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So next week is the last week of school at Valley Christian School. For the for the children, it's a time of excitement. You know, when you're young, you're always looking forward. For those of us who are a little older, the coming to the end of these things, I don't know, it's a little bit melancholy. You know, we get a little sentimental about the kids who are running away from us and leaving us. I always have to uh, speak at the graduation ceremony, and it's always a little bit sad for me. You know, my instinct is to flunk some of those kids and keep them around for another year because I, because I will, I will miss them. Susan Kaler will be presiding over her final graduation here, uh, at Valley Christian School. She has been with this school for more than 25 years. Um, she was first a, a fifth grade teacher and, and then, uh, when, uh, the first head of school, Sue Lind, retired, 
uh, Pastor Hockey uh, went to Sue Kaler and, and appointed her the, the new head of school. Uh, we've been involved in, in a very intense process of identifying the next head of school. We understand the church, uh, the school to be a mission of the church. Uh, and so the person who's heading that uh, mission is a missionary. And it's not everybody who's called to be a missionary. Uh, so we needed someone who had not only the academic qualifications to lead a school, but we also needed someone who had the heart of a missionary. And we looked and we looked and we talked to people and we interviewed and we sifted. And after a long process, we didn't have anybody. And we're thinking, oh, no, this isn't good. Uh, some of us were panicked. Some of us were anxious. Others of us were cool, calm, and collected and knew that God was in control. Uh, and the very next week after that one process had come to what seemed like an end, there was a conversation that happened uh, at your husband's funeral. Uh, the meeting of minds and a meeting of hearts between people who knew each other and loved this school and loved this church. And out of that conversation uh, grew, grew a process that led to an interview uh, and led to the hiring of uh, Dr. Chelsea Foster as our new head of school. Um, Many of you know her already. She will. She and her family are going to become a part of this, of this congregation. So you will be seeing her uh, around this place. I had the privilege of teaching two of her sons uh, in the boys' uh, Bible study in the middle school there. Um, so uh, part part of what I learned in this process is just to trust God with stuff. You know. You know, we've got all of our plans and we got our theories and we got our processes, but if we're not trusting God in the midst of that, man, uh, that, that's not okay. We worked our process. We, we trusted it and it did winnow out the people we didn't need. Uh, and then when the moment was right in that Kairos moment, God presented us with, with the person that was, that was just right. So, uh, we're looking forward to that transition. Uh, Susan Kaler will be wrapping up her work, uh, at Valley Christian School at the end of this month. We will say a goodbye to her in a more formal way. Uh, there's going to be lots of celebrating, uh, at Valley Christian School this coming week. I mean, obviously, with uh, the end of her tenure there, but also with the, the graduation, uh, and we will celebrate her properly here uh, uh, at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church as well. So I just want you to be encouraged to know uh, that God has his hand on this ministry, okay? Uh, and he has had uh, his hand on this ministry during a very tough season that we've come through. I mean, it's been a year and a half of real trial and tribulation, obviously the COVID thing. But you know, also all of the uh, uh, racial unrest in this country uh, that, that has created such turmoil around us. Maybe we've already forgotten that, but, but that was in this past year and a half too. Uh, and then having uh, the departure of a, of a head of school here, uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of turmoil, but God has been faithful through all of these things. Uh, keep your eyes on the Lord and trust Him uh, with these circumstances. Not only uh, in these institutions that you're part of, but also in your individual lives. Okay, there may be transitions in your life that you're anxious about. Well, what are the next steps? And I don't know. I don't know where God is leading me. I don't know what to do next. Well, the process will allow you to eliminate the things that you shouldn't do 
Never do the wrong thing. Never cheat, lie, or steal. Okay? But uh, God will show you what's the right thing that he also wants you to do. There's a little uh, write-up here uh, in your bulletins about Dr. Foster. For those of you who don't already know her or want to know her better, uh, some of you have already received multiple emails on that. The whole world knows and all of us uh, are celebrating. What I want to do this morning uh, is to walk through this passage... Uh, that we read from Acts chapter 19, um, it might be helpful for you to have it uh, available there in front of you. Um, And I'm also going to jump over to um, the third chapter of Luke. So if you want the Pew Bible, you might want to take a look at that. Uh, Luke chapter 3, I'm going to be taking a look at that passage as well. So here we are... um, The Apostle Paul is heading off to a new city. He's spent at least a year and a half in Corinth, maybe two years, we're not sure, but at least a year and a half he's been in Corinth. Now he's, you know, he's gone back home and he, he's heading back on the road again. Um, and, and he's heading to Ephesus. He's going to have another long stint in Ephesus. Meanwhile, this fellow named Apollos, uh, has gone to Corinth to where the Apostle Paul started the church. We'll hear more about Apollos later. Paul comes to Ephesus. The gospel has already arrived in Ephesus, or, well, I should say, some, some foreknews of the gospel. They've, there are people who are following the Lord there, but they're, they're following the Lord in an incomplete way. Paul gets there, uh, and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Which is an interesting question to ask when you're walking into a church. Okay, These, This is an established set of believers and his, his opening question with them is, have you received the Holy Spirit? Maybe we should ask that question of people more often. Because what you need to know is, is that these are people who are already professing faith in Jesus Christ. These are people who've already studied the scriptures, which is a good thing. I'm not going to say that's not a good thing, but Paul goes to the heart of the matter and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, well, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul then says, well, what kind of baptism did you receive? And we learn that they've received John's baptism. It seems, in fact, they've also received John's teaching. All right? So let's go back and take a look at what John taught. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 3 where we're going to learn a little bit about John the baptizer. This is all very familiar territory to you. Uh, there are a couple of themes that I want to lift up to you. I'm just going to announce them first and then, then we're going to listen for them. We're going to look at law and grace, law and grace, and we're going to look at obedience and belief. Or let's flip it around. We're going to look at grace and law, and we're going to look at belief and obedience. Okay, this is actually connected with my sermon from last week. So let me read for you a little bit from uh, Luke chapter 3. How about down at verse 3? And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Hold on. 
For the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. Okay, this of course is a a messianic prophecy that we see in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is speaking Words of comfort to the children of Israel. They're living in exile. He's giving them words of hope. There's going to be a redemption. There's going to be a return to the promised land. And he's beginning to describe uh, in those passages uh, how that's going to happen. Make straight the way of the Lord. And so John is identified by all, by the by the gospel writers, by the synoptic gospel writers, as the voice that's crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Reading in verse 7, John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized to him. And you have to understand, a lot of people went out to see John, okay? A lot, they, you know, it says all of Judea came out to see him. I mean, he caused quite a stir. He's an oddball, kind of freakish character. He's, he's, his diet consists of honey and bugs. And he's wearing clothes that you wouldn't wear in civilized society. And he's out there preaching in the wilderness. I mean, he's, he's a bit of a crazy man, but he's an attraction. And so people are going out to hear him preach. And I love the opening lines of, uh, of the sermon here. You brood of vipers. You children of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, don't begin to say to yourselves, I'm an elder in the Presbyterian church. Because God is able to raise from these stones, raise up elders in the Presbyterian church. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John is preaching a message of judgment. Okay? He's preaching a message of judgment and a warning that there's a wrath to come, that there's going to be a judgment and a punishment to come to people that's going to be delivered by the Lord against people because of their sins, and if they want to avoid this judgment, they better repent and start doing things a new way. Alright? He gets their attention. Okay? He's, he's, he's preaching hellfire and brimstone, and the response of the people is intelligent. They say, and the crowd asks him, verse 10, what then shall we do? Now sometimes when people hear about the coming judgment of God, their response to them, uh, to that message is, oh, I can't believe in a God who would judge anybody. I mean, God is loving. Why would God punish anyone? Wrath? That's not Santa God. Alright? These people are intelligent and they respond to John the baptizer and say, oh, what should we do then? We hear you, what should we do? And he answered, and I want you to observe how he answers. Verse 11, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to share with him who has none. Tax collection, okay, so so the, the, 
the first general rule that's being offered here is that be generous. Be generous with what you have. If you have more than enough for yourself, give some of that away to someone who doesn't have it. Share what you have. Share your tunic. Share your house. Share your food. Share your money. Okay? That's his general prescription there. Verse 12. More specific questions. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. No, tax collectors were not loved. We still don't love tax collectors today. Everybody hates the tax collector. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we tax collectors do? And he said to them, collect no more money than you are authorized to do. Well, that's about honesty. That's about not cheating people. Okay? Be generous with what you have. Stop cheating people. Verse 14. Soldiers also asked him, and we uh, asked him, we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Now, we don't live in a society where soldiers do extort, but this is common in many parts of the world and many times in history. But what you might want to think about in this case is people who have power, power of the sword or a gun on their hip, who abuse that power to take advantage of other people. Okay? So this is, the, this is the cops coming to John the baptizer. And he's saying, don't abuse your badge. Don't take advantage of your badge. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't, don't abuse that. You soldiers don't abuse people. Don't exploit people because of your power. So the first commandment that he offers is be generous with what you have, share what you have. The second commandment is be honest, don't cheat anybody. And the third commandment is don't abuse the power that you happen to have, your positional power. Okay, that could be a policeman. Honestly, it could be, you know, a fifth grade teacher. It could be a pastor abusing his power. Don't abuse your power. Verse 15 As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Remember, all of these people are looking forward to the Messiah. John answered them by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I am is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, John is now pointing to the Messiah. All right. Everybody's expecting the Messiah. They're looking forward to the Messiah. They're living in exile in their own land. They've got, they've got foreign governments. They've got pagans living in their land. They, 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 they're looking for redemption. And John says, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. And notice how he describes the Messiah. What's the job of the Messiah that's that's offered here? Well, do any of you guys got, got winnowing forks in your garages? Alright, so a winnowing fork is a harv no, it's not a harvesting tool. It's a after harvesting, I've harvested the wheat, now I've got to separate the good part from the bad part. Okay, it's an agricultural tool for separating out the good from the bad. 
Jesus's uh, or the Messiah's function, according to John the Baptizer, is to separate the good from the bad. Okay, and what happens to the bad? Unquenchable fire. Okay, notice that the description of the Messiah that John the Baptizer presents is not as the sacrifice that's going to pay for the sins of the world, but as the judge who will judge the world. Now, Jesus is both of those things. John doesn't yet know that Jesus is going to be the sacrifice. Okay, John's not a Christian. Okay, he's, he's, he's looking forward to the Christ, but he's not a Christian himself. He's still just a Jewish prophet. Okay. But he understands that the Messiah will be the judge of the world. The Messiah is going to separate the wheat from the chaff and woe be to the chaff. All right. The wheat is going to be gathered into the barn and that, that will be good for the wheat. So here's the description that John the baptizer offers of the Messiah that's to come. I want you to understand a couple of things here. Uh, that what John John's preaching is law preaching. You have a problem with sin. Let me preach some hellfire and brimstone. Oh, pastor, what should I do about my uh, my terrible state in relationship to God based upon the sins in my life? Well, let me give you a list of four rules to follow. Okay, the, John is preaching the law. Which is makes sense. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet. Okay? He's a, he's a prophet of the law. Follow the law. You're disobeying now? Follow the law. Follow the law. I want you to understand that that is law and it is not yet gospel. Alright? So he doesn't understand what Jesus is going to do. John's preaching is correct. John's preaching is true, alright? The law does correct us and it shows us the problem that we have, alright? The law reveals to us our need of a Savior, alright? We're never going to come to Jesus if we don't recognize that we actually have a problem with God. Listen, listen to, listen to John the Baptizer. He's going to point out to you your problem. Uh, now he points out a prescription. Now what's going to happen when you come up uh, and try to fulfill that prescription? He, he gave you four new laws. Well, guess what? You're going to fail with that too. That's why we need a savior. Okay? And that's why the, the gospel needs to be larger than the law. The law leads us to the gospel. The law leads us to a recognition that we have need for a savior that's going to solve this problem in a different way. If you're trying to figure out your relationship with God... Just by being a better person, by turning over a new leaf, by working harder, by making resolutions, well, it's just not going to work. Okay, you're going to keep failing. Okay, and you're going to keep being under the preaching of John the Baptizer, and he's going to keep scorching you. All right? Thank God for that preaching, though. Okay, because the, the fire and brimstone preaching leads us to the, to the gospel and to the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. All right, so that's Luke. Now let's go back to our main passage. Okay, so that's that's the preaching that the folks in Ephesus have. It's good preaching. Okay, they've got the fear of the Lord in them. Okay, they know how they're supposed to be living, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. 
Paul asked them, what kind of baptism have you received? Well, the baptism of John and the preaching of John. Here's the law. Follow the law. The law is good. The law will keep you safe. And, and folks, I never want to, I never want to, uh, have you think that the law is not important. It will keep you safe. Your life will be good if you follow the law. But we have a bigger problem that we don't follow the law and we need to solve that problem too. John told the people to be baptized to show that they wanted to change their lives. And then John told them something else. And here really is the seed of the gospel. John told, I'm reading in verse 4, John told the people to believe in the one who would come after him. Belief and obedience. Belief and obedience, law and gospel. Verse 5, when these followers heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Last week we talked about how we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. All right, Justified is just a theological term for God changing our legal status. Okay, the legal st- our legal status in the real world is, is that we're sinners. We walk under a sign when we come into this building saying that we are a fellowship of sinners. If you're not a sinner, you really shouldn't be here this morning. This is a meeting of sinners, okay? We are sinners, all right? And so uh, we, we, recogni- we recognize uh, that, that status of sinners. And, but when, when we're justified, we go from being sinners to being declared righteous, which means perfectly sin-free. But that justification is something that God does for us and to us. It happens in the moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be justified. Okay, That happens in a moment. It's instantaneous. When you place your faith in Christ, you're justified. Your sins are forgiven. God sees you as a holy person, even though we know that you're scumbags. Okay? That's the justification. It happens by belief. But what about the sanctification? Sanctification is that process by which we become uh, more and more like Christ. Sanctification is that discipleship process where we're following the law, where we're obeying more and more in a habitual way, the way that God intends us to live. The sanctification happens by obedience. All right. You've heard the preaching of the law. You've heard how Jesus has told you to live. You've heard how John the baptizer has told you to live. And you start to live that way. Now, which is wonderful. Because as you become more sanctified, your life does become better. I mean, it's just true that if you, if you live according to God's way, you will be more blessed. There are people who are saved but are living miserable lives because they're not living lives of obedience. They've got no sanctification going on. They're justified. They're going to squeak into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Okay? But they're living disobedient lives, and so their lives are disordered, and they're not blessed as a result. Okay? If your life is lacking blessing, you might want to look at, where's your obedience? Are you following what God has asked you to do? Are you being generous with your money? Are you being generous with your time, with other people? Are you always being honest? Okay, what was the third rule that he had? Don't exploit your power. Oh, there's a fourth rule. 
Okay, so that, I mean, it's at the end of that passage. I mean, you remember what happened to John the Baptizer in the end? In the end, John the Baptizer gets his head cut off, and he gets his head cut off because he went to King Herod and called Herod out on an illicit sexual relationship that the king was having. That's pretty bold. All right? Whack. Took his head off. All right? So that was the fourth thing. Okay, yeah, just just because you're the king, don't think that you can have uh, sexual relationships that are outside of the boundaries of what Scripture defines, all right? Scripture is very clear about human sexuality. There are men and there are women, okay? There are two genders, and sex is legitimate in marriage between one man and one woman. All other varieties of sexual activity are non-biblical and are outside of the will of God. And God does not bless any other sexual activity or tolerate it. And all people who behave in a different way will be judged and there will be consequences for that. And so John says this to the king, which, you know, you got to admire him for it. It cost him his life. All right, but that, it was the, that was the fourth thing. So be generous with your money. Never cheat. Don't take advantage of your power and, and be sexually controlled or sexually chaste. All right. So those, those were the four things. That's the law. And as we are being sanctified, uh, we're become more and more obedient over time. And that's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. The justification, boom, one day you're justified. One day you're on your way to heaven. All right, and thanks be to God. If you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, you need to make that decision today. And let me indicate for you why it is a decision. If you take in, uh, take a look in verse 4, John told the people to be baptized to show that they wanted to change their lives. He told the people to believe in the one who would come after him. Now, what I want you to see is, is is that that is a command to believe. It's a commandment to believe. Now, maybe you think you can't command someone to believe. Right? Sometimes my wife tells me things that I don't believe. And if she were, she's usually right, but if she were to just say to me, I command you to believe that, it would be impossible for me to believe it. Right? It doesn't seem, you know, you either believe it or you don't. But here it is, it's a command to believe, then notice in the next verse, when the followers heard this, they were baptized. They believed it. Uh, in, in, in the next verse. Look in verse 9. I'm still in Acts chapter, uh, 19. But some of them, this is in the preaching that's going on in, in the, in the synagogue, some of them became stubborn and refused to believe. You can choose to believe. You can refuse to believe. Now I puzzle about why this happens. Okay, I think there's a psychology in why we choose to believe and why we uh, choose not to believe. I don't, I don't think there are just any tricks or manipulations that go on that make us believe or don't believe. So my question to you is, have you chosen consciously, explicitly to believe in Jesus as the savior of the world and as the forgiver of your sins? If you haven't, do it. Do it today, okay? When you do that, that's the beginning of your Christian journey. That That's your justification. And then the sanctification is that more gradual process over time where you obey the law uh, more and more fully over time. In closing, I see my time has run out, but let me uh, lift up the, the verse 
6 and 7. No, verse 6. Okay, those of you who come out of the Pentecostal tradition, this is the verse you love. Okay, this is the verse that points to really the doctrine that is central uh, in, in, for example, an Assemblies of God church or, or a church of God in Christ. Okay, uh, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Okay, they were already believers. They had already submitted to Christ. They already said, yeah, we we want this. He lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's 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 an anointing. And they began to speak in different tongues, different languages. Okay, they were speaking in tongues. All right. And they were prophesying as a sign of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now there are traditions that say that this goes on still. That there are, there is a coming to Christ, there's a conversion. Okay, these people clearly believe in Jesus. Uh, but then there can come a moment where there is a, is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul lays his hands on them and they begin to speak uh, in different languages and they begin to, they begin to prophesy. Okay. What I want to say is that the text makes that possible. All right. Now there are some who argue that those extraordinary gifts ended, uh, in the, in the first century, uh, I think in in our community here, we remain open to that possibility. Okay, there are people in our church who speak in tongues, and there are people in our church who who prophesy, and and we understand that to be a legitimate uh, exercise uh, of their of their uh, Christian of their Christian liberty, which is is supported uh, in Scripture. I want to offer you the opportunity, if you have never. Receive the Holy Spirit. You believe in Jesus, but maybe you don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll lay hands on you today if you want the whole, if, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, if you think that would be helpful to you. Okay. If there's anyone here who would like me to lay hands on them, we're gonna, I'm gonna invite the band up at this time. You guys can vamp a little bit. Uh, I will be available here. If you want to come forward and I will just pray with you and lay hands on you uh, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to have his way uh, in your life and then we will move forward with the rest of the service. So feel free to come forward if you would like right now.